going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Gratitude, above all other thoughts, unites you with universal intelligence because you're basically matching your frequency to the frequency of the universe via thoughts and feelings of love. Think of it like this. Let's say you live in a neighborhood with lots of kids and you bake a batch of cookies and hand them out. Some kids are so wrapped up in their play that they'll wolf them down. But there's one kid who shows deep appreciation. He's grateful for the cookie, for the gesture, for your big old heart. He helps you clean the kitchen, refill your bird feeder, set up your iPhone. He's met your energy of giving with his energy of gratitude and his high frequency response opens him up to receive more of that same energy from you as well as someone else. I read that and went, man, I needed something uplifting today. So hopefully that gave you a little something, something to spark things up as we go into, we can finally say the election campaign. Yes, it is going to be a front and center through the course of the show today. And through the courses of the next 28 days, I'm going to get into that in just a second. Also coming up through the course of the show today, brand new Calgary Police Chief Constable Mark Newfeld meeting the media today. He also said he's going to sit down with us after four o'clock for a nice in-depth conversation about the issues surrounding the service, what he sees as some of the priorities heading into his tenure as the new chief and a whole bunch more. So again, you'll want to join us after four o'clock for that conversation. Dr. Rohan Basundath is back for his regular check-in uh, after 4.30. After five o'clock, we will dive back into provincial politics and also municipal politics. We'll talk about the tag bag program uh, that is being proposed at a city level or is being mulled about here in the city. We'll talk to those in Airdrie who have that tag bag system and also new study looking into perfectionism. We'll talk about that after 5.30, but let's fire right into uh, a bit of a manifesto that I'm going to give you when it comes to the provincial election. I have a few promises for you. Number one, I won't be endorsing any party, any leader, or any candidate. It's not up to me to tell you how to vote. Number two, I won't be talking about polls. I know some will argue it's all about uh, the analytics. It's all about the methodology, all that kind of thing. All, there, some are good, some are bad. I've seen enough of them to know the only one that really matters is on election day, as uh, I know a lot of politicians will say that, but it is true. The, the way that they've turned out lately, not worth the time and energy in my books. Uh, Number three, on this show, we're going to be focusing on issues. And yes, that is plural. It's not just the economy. It's not just social issues. We do need to talk about jobs. We do need to talk about health care, education, infrastructure, child care, everything in between. We're going to talk business uh, off the top of the show today. An informed electorate is the best thing we can do to help provide. uh, We can help provide in a democracy My mission is civilized will continue over the next 28 days and beyond. Why? Because I believe the vast, vast majority of people in our city and in our province are good people. Most have families to go home to, have jobs they work hard at, and they have extracurricular activities that they want to have fun with to get their minds off the ills of the day. They're not overly political like some of us are. They're just listening. They're being quiet They're the silent majority, and now is the time for the silent majority to stand up and be heard, hence the election. And that's where we come in. We need to talk about the issues because I believe in Albertans. We can't afford to turn them off politics right now because 
Now is an important time for our province because we need to set the wheels in motion for our future. It's called legacy. As I always say, we are living in the hist- we are living as the history books of tomorrow. So what will those books say about us in the future? Keep that and all in mind as we navigate the next 28 days together. Speaking of together, we're going to talk business with business with the Calgary Chamber of Commerce next here on Calgary today. Okay, like I said, off the top, we are going to dive into all kinds of issues. Yes, the vast majority, I would say, are going to be focused mostly on business. I mean, that is realistically going to be the topic du jour for this campaign. You're going to see, especially the UCP, focus in on jobs and the jobless rate and our deficits and our deficits and that kind of thing. And how you fix that is by making sure that you've got a strong business community. The Calgary Chamber of Commerce, as you've heard on this program before, uh, has really had some issues, I think, with all three levels of government and how the, the goalposts have moved over and over and over again. And so what I wanted to do was bring in Sandeep Lolly, of course, the CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, to talk more um, about what you as voters need to be keeping in mind heading into the election and this campaign and asking some very integral questions of your local candidates to make sure that you are getting someone to advocate for you. Joining us now again, uh, CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, Sandeep Lolly. Sandeep, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity. From a Calgary Chamber perspective, what would you like Calgarians to focus on as some of the big issues heading into the next 28 days? We'd like Calgarians to ask questions about economic policy and really be specific about how is the next government going to pull competitiveness back into our economy? What are those policies that are going to pull the business community forward? Because we are ready to grow and move forward. What kinds of things in your mind will help provoke the economy into spinning out of the the rut that it's been in? Making us investment worthy once again. We have put forward five principles in our election platform, which I'd encourage citizens to look at on our website. Those are fundamental building blocks of good, strong economic policy, specifically around that hurdle rate for get investors to invest into a Calgary business. I was going to say, for those who don't have internet access or may forget before they get oh, home, sure. walk us through some of your those five keys that you, you're really keying on for this campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fiscal responsibility by the government to make sure that the house is in order. And people often ask, why does business care that the government has a balanced budget or is operating physically? We care because it lessens the risk of temptation for a government to raise taxes and increase further burden on business. So that's why having a fiscal house in order is really uh, responsible and something business wants. The regulatory and tax certainty piece, that's been a game changer over the last several governments here is that we want to make sure we're consulted, but also that we have certainty around taxes and regulations. And then the third principle we've put forward is to access to markets for all goods, 
natural resources and internal trade, you know, the, the ability to negotiate with our neighbors to get and capture markets outside of Alberta. Good governance. Good governance is all about getting certainty and trust back into the government and government policies. So that involves consultation, meaningful consultation, and meaningful timelines to implement changes. And then finally, we're asking for skills training development, having smart skills and putting into the next people economy. So those are the five blocks that are we feel are going to pull the economy forward. But our home base, our main thing here is to get us to be investment worthy and improve the competitiveness of the Alberta economy. Is it enough for parties to say we just need to turn back the clock to 2014 when things were going or do we need to think beyond that? I would challenge someone that says that. As a citizen, I would. that is not what I want to hear. As a business, it's not what I want to hear. I want to know how are you government XYZ going to have policies that enable me to capture market share? I need customers and I need to be investment worthy. How do you focus on the employee part of the business dynamic? And I'll, I'll use the example of minimum wage and that kind of thing. How do you how do you make sure that everybody stays happy at the end of the day? Because I know that in particular was a, a really big bone of contention. Yeah, I mean, no one's going to touch the minimum wage. It's one of those things, it is how it is, and we've adjusted our business models for that, where we're saying for the for the labor force is the skills development, because everybody wants challenging work and everybody wants gainful employment. So let's focus on that skills development and realign business, academia, and government on that so that we can move forward into the next people economy and have skills and talent that's going to be able to capture those market shares and customers. How do you tell each of the parties to learn to work together, not necessarily even with themselves, but also with senior and junior levels of government as well, as you and I have talked on a number of occasions, Mm -hmm. is you have these uh, different levels of government that seem to be moving the goalposts in different directions. And so business is left going, I'm just going to kick it up in the air and hope for the best. Yeah, you know, it's funny that we, uh, one of the things that first when the writ was dropped this morning, I was like, here is where the citizens have a chance to double down on policy and not politics. The politicians will inevitably make things to be polarized. We as citizens need to make sure we stay on hand and talk about policy and say specifically, how is, what, what, what is your government going to do to increase my market share, make me investment worthy. What are those tax credits you're offering? You know, there's the Alberta tax credit that's offered, but the the definition of it is so limited that the growth companies can't access it. Like really be specific, um, get educated. And so it's, it's really within us to challenge the politicians to take the politics out of this campaign season and focus on policy because that's their wheelhouse. And I know that you're nonpartisan on that front. And so I ask the question in this way is, how would you grade the NDP government on how it's done business-wise over the last four years when it comes to not just the overall scheme of things, but even uh, did they have some wins in there? I think one of the things 
to look back on this government is where they started. And so for business, it's been compounding. So for me, like you say, as a nonpartisan, it's difficult to say it was this government or that government. But I think some of the wins that nobody will refute is the advocacy of this government around pipelines and market access. It's now a federal project. So that's, that's at least we've got that in play. I don't think anyone will ever say, any business person will say that this government, uh, the NDP government, did not advocate for pipeline. Mm-hmm. And so that that's one of the wins. But one of that's in and of itself getting into this election season. Hopefully that isn't the issue that's going to get talked about the most because it's a federal project now. So let's focus on provincial economic policies to move this economy forward. Mm-hmm. What kinds of policies do you think would help that pro- use that project in particular? Because it is going to be a hot button one. But what kinds of policies do you think would help, uh, especially the the that uh, that particular project become a reality at some point, so it doesn't get bogged down in that interprovincial battle? Yeah, and the fact that it's a federal project now, it's going to be on the party to be able to say how well can they advocate, right? Because like there's us, there's other industry associations, there's the senators, everybody's trying to shorten the timeline to get resources to Tidewater. So the next government, can they shorten that timeline? And is that plausible as to how they're going to shorten that timeline? And certainly during the last four years, I think there's been a lot of people who have said, you know what, I don't have the skill set to go any further or, hey, I don't, I'm not getting the jobs in the patch right now, so I'm going to go and learn to be something else. So how do you maintain that momentum, but at the same time, make sure that you are keeping people uh, employed? If we do go back, for example, to uh, the oil patch, do you, do you want them to keep going that way? Or how do you, how do you strike that happy medium there? You know what, if a person, as a person in your household, you choose to do that, you're going to show up there better. You're going to be better for the skills you've gained. So you're going to show up with greater efficiency, right? Because technology has advanced out in the field as well. And so you're not going to need as many of those jobs either. So if you're lucky enough to get back into there, it's going to be you and technology. So you would have gained anyway for doing those skills even if you're looking for that same culture and that same type of work and company, you're going to do it differently because Mm -hmm. technology is advancing. What is one question that you think Calgarians should be asking of each party as they go into the next 28 days? What, and what answers would you like to have for them when the 28 days are over? I would ask as, as even as myself, obviously as a citizen here, um, the question that I want answered is how am I going to gain market share based on your economic policy? How am I going to advance my company to grow? Because right now I can't, I'm impeded with the policies I have. So that's, that's what I want to know is how am I going to be able to grow my company? with your economic policies. Sandeep, I do appreciate this as always, and we'll definitely have to check back in over the course of the campaign and see how, how you, you're seeing things uh, line up before, uh, before the writ is finally, or before the election uh, finally happens. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and I'd encourage you to ask people like, you know, how are you staying? How are you keeping this conversation on policy? How are, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's, it's going to, it's going to get emotional for all of us, but we have to keep it on policy because that's the long game here. No, absolutely. Again, Sandy Plawley, the president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, joining us on uh, opening day 2019. <laughs> I'm a baseball fan, so I had to throw that one out there. But yeah, it's it's opening day of the the 28-day election campaign. Again, April 16th is when we head to the polls. Uh, I, I had to joke a little bit uh, earlier today because as soon as I saw that news and I saw the actual uh, announcement saying, hey, we're making a big announcement at 945, and I went... It's happening. And then I went, oh, that's going to be the same week as the wedding. We heard the news for the first time yesterday as the Calgary Police Commission has appointed Mark Newfeld as the new chief constable, a.k.a. Police chief here in the city of Calgary spent 24 years with the Edmonton Police Service the last couple of years as chief of the Camrose Police Service. He's also the president of the Alberta Association of Chiefs of Police. He's a leader of its Women in Policing Committee. He's the chair of the Alberta Law Enforcement Response Team and a partridge in a pear tree. Needless to say, he's well decorated. And for the first time today, he met with reporters here in Calgary and he joins us now. On the phone, uh, Chief, first off, uh, congratulations uh, on the new post. Oh, thank you very much, Joe. I really appreciate it. It's been a real whirlwind, but I feel like a pretty uh, pretty fortunate fellow. I can only imagine it's been a bit of a whirlwind. And so I'm going to ask the question right off the bat is, when you think about this opportunity, what comes to mind? What are you most excited about? Uh, without question, it's uh, the ability to, to sort of help people. Uh, help people inside the organization, help people in the community. And, you know, who wouldn't want to do that in a beautiful city like Calgary? Uh, the CPS is a wonderful organization. It's filled with great people, and it's, uh, it's something that actually aligns really well with my passion. So very happy to take it on. You've uh, inherited a few issues, I suppose you could say. We've got opioid crisis that we're still dealing with across this province. You've got some uh, HR things that I think uh, still are lingering. Let's start with the opioids thing first. And uh, where do you stand on this? How do we get better? How do we get to uh, to understanding the situation as a whole in your eyes? Well, the opioid crisis is a really tough one, and I think if I'm not mistaken, the Calgary zone in the province is. Uh, has been the hardest hit. Uh, now, it looks like the last numbers that I've seen, it looks like the, uh, and this is fingers crossed, obviously, but it looks like uh, the numbers may have plateaued, but nonetheless, I think it's still probably two people a day are dying in the province, so we're not doing good enough. Um, you know, this is one of those wicked, complex problems that we certainly have a role in, but we're, we're not the full answer for this. So I think what we're seeing is, you know, I think around Western Canada, um, generally, is probably the hardest hit in the country right now with BC leading the way, uh, a very dubious distinction. But we continue to learn about this, but I think the answers are in a, in a um, sort of a, a strategic approach that includes all of the partners and, and all kinds of expertise and resources coming into this from sort of health and additions and, and um, service providers. And there's, there's, everybody needs to be engaged in this. Um, you know, the reality is we haven't made much of a dent in it. Like I said, I'm hoping that we have the plateau, uh, but uh, I guess we'll wait and see as we go forward here. 
One of the things that has uh, been echoed by your predecessors has been the idea of not being able to arrest ourselves out of these problems, whether it's the petty crime or whether it's the drug addiction or whether it's other things, because uh, you're not getting to the root of the problem. And so I wonder, is that a philosophy that you are going to continue to uh, beat the drum on? And beyond that is how do you get above and beyond that to be able to get to the root of the problem? Yeah, it would be a drum that I'd continue to beat in that way. Um, I had a colleague that once said, you know, we, we seem to in policing come across uh, some ads and ads and ads. And uh, unfortunately, probably, you know, the police are the great medicine perhaps for the bad. But uh, for the ads and ads, I think they need other medicine other than us. We're not the service providers of choice. We're certainly the uh, people that go at 3 o'clock in the morning or whenever the phone rings to try to... Uh, uh, bring situations under control but we we aren't the agency of choice for that so i think we've got to make sure that we're uh you know we're analyzing these situations and and looking for those root causes that you talk about and then taking the steps we need to try to put people into contact with the uh the particular resources that are actually going to give them the the real and meaningful help so uh you're absolutely right we don't arrest our way out of this um this this is going to take a lot of thought it's very complex and we've got to leverage other agencies and their expertise you know One of the other things, as I mentioned off the top, that you're inheriting is a bit of a question as to the HR side of things and the relationship between, say, the police union and the rank and file and the the commission and that. How are you entering this? As somebody who's not, uh, you know, on either side at the moment, you've been, you're kind of the, the new face at it. How do you approach what has been going on or have you been paying attention to it at all? Uh, as you enter the foray? Yeah, I've certainly been paying attention. Um, I guess what I would say is we've had some really, really productive meetings, you know, over the last couple of days. Our goal here was to make this uh, sort of an approach where we focused on the organization and people first, and hence the reason, you know, we did uh, some work with media and calling in today and not yesterday. And um, So I think that's been well-received. Uh, I think it's really important to be able to demonstrate to our people that we're going to take that people-first approach. I've had some great meetings. You know, I started yesterday uh, in the afternoon with the senior leaders of the organization. And, you know, I, this is transition, and it's not an easy transition, but we've come out of that, uh, you know, in a place where we're saying we're starting with a completely clean slate as far as that goes, and, and we're extending trust. And we've agreed, you know, notwithstanding the fact that it's a short meeting, to uh, go forward and work together, you know, cooperatively in the best interest of our people and the, uh, the uh, community and also the organization. Uh, you know, following on to that, I had some opportunity to uh, meet a whole bunch of employees at Westwinds uh, in the atrium, and that was well attended, and it was a great time. And then we moved on to District 5, and we had a, we had a really good meeting with officers out in District 5. You know, that's a, that's a comp- complex area of the city, as you know. It's a busy district, and they talked about that. You know, they're, they're going through a lot of calls, and it's a, it's a very busy environment with complex issues to be tended to. Um, you know, we were sort of made privy to a couple of the, of the priorities they're working on, um, there was a there's a project there that has to do with uh, uh, ongoing sort of swarming robberies and, and some other issues there on the LRT or the or the C train where people aren't feeling completely safe and they're doing a great job of being engaged in the badge and being intelligent led like I say I really uh, I really felt a strong energy there uh, today I had the good fortune of uh, sitting down with the executives from the CPA and once again you know what we agreed to sort of start fresh and and once again to just kind of take that approach where we'll work together. And, uh, and we'll do that in the best interest of our people and the organization and Calgary. You know, in a short period of time in Calgary, 
what else could I really ask for? <laughs> Do you look at it as not just a fresh start, but also an opportunity to bring a bit of an outsider's perspective on things and start afresh on a bunch of different ways? And are you looking to use your past experience to maybe learn from whether it's mistakes of past regimes or whether it's uh, just kind of learning from what you learned was best to be able to uh, bring this organization forward? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting because I've had a lot of questions like that. And, of course, you know, this has just been the announcement, and I'm not even in the organization just yet. So, as you know, I think there's been a lot of really good work done. Um, you know, I think when when sort of some of the concerns were in the media and they were, you know, at a bit more of a, uh, like a fever pitch, that goes back a little ways. And, I, you know, I got the sense from, from talking to people yesterday that a lot of good work has been done. So, certainly to the credit of the... Uh, interim chief barlow and the team there and uh and everybody else in the organization things are moving forward so i'm going to want to when i get there get up to speed in terms of where things stand today and then like i say we certainly want to want to move the needle on culture and and basically really put our people first and i think it's great critical we're an organization that gets work done through people and we do we do work for people but the reality of it is we get that done through people so if we're not looking after our people, then I would imagine that's going to have some pretty significant uh, impacts on the public when they're interacting with our officers and our staff. I, I start there. I take that people-first approach that I, that I tell you about. I want to get out and about and be talking to people and listening to what's going on and, uh, and then making sure that we're responsive to that. Chief, I wanted to ask about uh, your style of being at the top job. Are you more of a battering ram kind of guy, especially going into a new gig like this? Or do you think you need to ease into it a little bit more and get a sense of and scope of the situation first? Well, I I guess I would say um, I've seen it done both ways. And I'm not so sure that I've seen many uh, many, uh, examples with the battering ram example turned out to be uh, positive over the long term. You know, I think there's probably organizations that uh, maybe do require that, but I can tell you that the Calgary Police Service is not one of them. It's a big, complex organization, and there's lots of links in the chain. Uh, and I can, you know, I can tell you without question that this is not a case where every link has come undone. In fact, I, I would say that most of the links are firmly in place. Um, you know, I think it's an organization with a 134-year history, a proud history. Um, you know, I think there's some systems and some processes in place that you know have. It may well have been good systems in years gone by, but uh, things have evolved both inside and outside of the organization. I think it's time to look at those and make some adjustments. So I, I don't think, to answer your question, I don't think a battering ram is what's called for here. I think it's a more thoughtful, sort of surgical approach to go in, really analyze exactly what the issues are, uh, be thoughtful about what the strategy is for dealing with them, and then, and then go forward with the plan to do that. Final question for you, and a little bit of a lighter note. When you look back on the last number of years that you've been in policing, A, can you imagine a time where you would, if you were to go back, could previous you have ever imagined you being in the current spot you're in? And B, beyond that is, what is the most entertaining side of the business that you get to be a part of that makes you keep coming back day after day? Okay, well, part A would be never. Um, you know, actually, when I got into policing, um, I didn't even really aspire to uh, do much more other than serve the community. And over time, you know, things happen the way they do. But I have to be honest with you, I feel like the new guy, too. I, you know, I feel like I just started in policing, and perhaps it's because uh, policing and the organizations have evolved so much 
over the last while, but it's always felt new and fresh. And so I never really felt like I had it all figured out. Um, I felt like I had to work with others to get it figured out. So, so the answer to that is certainly no. Um, on, a, on a lighter note there, I really like the title in uh, the Calgary Police Service, Chief Constable. It almost takes you back instead of sort of climbing up the ranks to the point that, you know, the air is thin and you can't see the people that are actually responsible for delivering the service. It almost feels to me like a bit of a circle where you come back around. Most of the people in the organization, the sworn rank are constables. And then at the civilian rank, they're, you know, they're frontline workers like that. And so I really like that grounding in that title. I think that, that really sort of speaks to me. I have, a, I have a real heart for people that are delivering the service to Calgary. And part B of the question uh, was definitely the people that uh, make me keep coming back. I think being able to serve the public, it's always been really, uh, really rewarding for me. But the people that come to policing, both the sworn and the non-sworn, and uh, the diversity that are in their working, stuff like that, is I think anytime you talk to anybody who's left the police organization, uh, you know, through retirement or whatever, they will say, you know what, I miss the people. The people are absolutely fantastic. And like I say, that's why, that's why they're my passion. Well, again, congratulations on the new post, and uh, we're looking forward to having you here uh, once you actually do get to take hold of your office and everything, and maybe we'll have you down here at the radio station before too long, and uh, you'll get to tour the, the friendly confines of CHQR. Thank you so much for the time this afternoon. Joel, thanks you. thank you to you and your listeners. I appreciate uh, the interest, and I will definitely be talking to you soon. Incoming Police Chief Mark Newfeld joining us here on Calgary Today, and I get the sense that he might even be open to a call-in segment at some point, maybe. You guys can voice your thoughts on some of the issues surrounding policing here in Calgary. I'm sure that that'll happen before too long. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Hello, Calgary! My friends, it is time for an election. And the crowd rejoices. I think everybody was going, okay, when's this going to happen? Come on. Let's do it. We know it's been... I mean, we, we've all been fully aware that this was coming. We all knew that, especially with the ramped up announcements from the province, that it was only a matter of time. I think there was some question as to whether or not, with all the, the controversies and that surrounding the UCP as of late, whether or not they'd hold off for a little while longer, maybe wait till after Easter and go right to the very limit. But instead, they decided, let's do it now. So what does that mean? My friends, our cabinet, our cabinet has approved an order in council. And it was signed this morning by the Lieutenant Governor. And I am pleased to announce that Albertans will go to the polls on April 16th. There we go. Circle that date on your calendar if you haven't already. I know a lot of people have. Now, during her speech, I, I listened to both her and Jason Kenney. I haven't had the chance because it happened later on in the afternoon. Uh, to both Stephen Mandel and David Kahn. And I do want to bring you some of that audio over the coming days as well. She was obviously playing to her base. And actually, frankly, both of them were right off the bat. There was one comment or one line of comments from Rachel Notley that made me perk up my ears a bit, though. Now, if you consider yourself a conservative voter, let me speak to you directly. I hope to earn your support in this election too. A growing, growing number of conservatives here in Calgary 
and across Alberta are coming to have very serious doubts about Jason Kenney as Premier. A nasty record of intolerance should have no place in the Premier's office in this province. And it's now clear, it's now clear that Jason Kenney's campaign betrayed the Conservative Party by cheating to win its highest office. And then he lied about it. Now, is that a premier? If that's what you're thinking, as a conservative, that maybe you just can't bring yourself to vote and to give your vote to Jason Kenney, and you're not just sure that he should be premier of Alberta, well then, this time, in this election, let's team up to keep our province moving forward. And that's going to be the key, I think. Everybody knows NDP supporters are going to be voting NDP. Conservative supporters are going to be voting UCP. The moderates are going to be where the election is won or lost. Like I said off the top of the show, I do believe that the vast, vast majority of Albertans are somewhere in the gray. I think that they're good people and they're willing to listen. And they've got their concerns most of which surrounding the economy, and that's where Jason Kenney comes into play. Calgary has the highest unemployment of any city in Canada, and Edmonton the third highest. Tens of thousands of Albertans have given up looking for work. Employment for young Alberta men is at its lowest level in our economy's history. Bankruptcies and insolvencies were up again last year to near record levels. Again, in what our Premier calls a recovery. Alberta has gone from the 14th to the 43rd best place in North America in which to invest in oil and gas under the NDP's policies. Tens of billions of dollars of investment have fled this province. Monthly payrolls, that's the amount of money people are paid in this province, is $1.3 billion lower today than when the NDP took office. Albertans are poor because of NDP policies. Many small businesses are barely hanging on. The NDP is digging us into a $100 billion debt hole that risks our future and our public services. The bottom line is this. The NDP has the worst economic record since the Great Depression nine decades ago. On top of all of that, the NDP's historic opposition to pipelines, plus their disastrous political alliance with Justin Trudeau, has resulted in the killing of the Northern Gateway Pipeline, the killing of Energy East, surrendering to a U.S. veto on Keystone XL Pipeline, surrendering to the campaign of obstruction on the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and now Justin Trudeau's No More Pipelines Act, Bill C-69, and his tanker ban on Canadian oil exports, Bill C-48. So there you go. And as Danielle rightly pointed out in her latest uh, piece for 770CHQR Insiders, this uh, campaign is going to get dirty. In fact, it already has. 
Buckle up, kids. We got 28 days of this. Like I said, we're going to focus a lot on issues, but uh, clearly the leader's drawing the lines in the sand, and away we go. Tomorrow, a city committee will talk about the possibility of a tag-a-bag program for garbage collection. Are those bins too much? Are we not diverting enough garbage from uh, the landfills over to uh, recycling? Well, Airdrie has a similar tag-a-bag program in place, so we thought we'd give you a little bit of context for that. Susan Grimm is the team leader of waste and recycling for the city of Airdrie. Susan, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Walk us through the decision-making process first and foremost when it came to the tag-a-bag program that you have in Airdrie. So um, City of Airdrie is actually one of the first Alberta municipalities to introduce a bag system way back in 1992. So in 1992, we went from no limit to five bags, and then we decreased to four bags in 93, three bags in 94, and then two bags in 98. And then in 2017, when we rolled out our recycling program, we actually dropped that down to one bag, um, which is equivalent to about 120 litres or half the size of the city of Calgary's black cart. How, how successful has the program been to this point over the last couple of years? Uh, well, it's doing what we want it to do, and every municipal waste management team, no matter what municipality they work in, is working towards the same goal of reducing waste to landfill. And I would say that in Airdrie, with the programs we have in place, we've been um, very successful in that. Uh, we've decreased the waste to landfill from 380 metric tons per household a year, or kilograms per year, to 286, I think, in 2018. So it, it's working. Um, but even with our programs, there's there's still a lot of work to do. What kinds of things do you foresee as being some of the, the top uh, items of concern, I suppose, for residents when you talk about that work still left to do? Um, well, <laughs> when we did a garbage audit last September, we were still finding that over... of what is in the residential garbage can be diverted to one of our other programs. Um, Primarily compost, we're still seeing over 35% of our garbage that should be going to our green cart program. And we've had the green cart program in place since 2014. Um, so, you know, the big, the big thing is going to be getting, getting that material out of the garbage and into the, um, and into the, into the green cart. On the flip side, are you seeing much in the way of, say, recyclables ending up in, or non-recyclables ending up in the blue, key, uh, blue bin or the green bin? Yeah, so that same, um, that same audit showed we had contamination, and contamination just means basically anything that isn't accepted in that particular program. So in our green cart program, now keep in mind again, we have had it in place for quite a, quite a number of years. Um, we're at five years this year. Mm-hmm. So we're only at 2% contamination in our green carts, um, but we are still seeing about a 20% contamination rate in our blue carts. And I, I, I see the, the fear um, that the city of Calgary may have in, you know, decreasing their waste. Is that, is that material going to end up in one of the other two programs? Right. When it comes to the city of Calgary, and we'll, we'll focus specifically on the tag bag program, anything that you would recommend to the city of Calgary or to the residents to kind of maybe put their minds at ease over the ease of the program or things that they should be keeping in mind as they wade through these waters? Well, I think if if they were if the Cal- city of Calgary to, were to move ahead with the program, um, 
the the program helps establish, um, or it, I guess it helps move municipalities towards pay-as-you-throw systems where residents aren't subsidizing other residents that could create or dispose of more waste. Um, so it really does, you know, if you're a really super recycler and you're putting everything where it should be, um, you, you shouldn't be paying the same as a neighbor who maybe isn't putting in that same effort. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And when it comes to uh, just the overall using the, the black cart versus the black bag system, uh, what have you found on that? Are, are, you, are you pretty happy with the way things are? Have residents been receptive to the idea that, hey, we, can, we don't need another cart in our back alley? Yeah, well, since, you know, since 93, we've made really big strides towards reducing that, uh, that waste limit. And I think for us in Airdrie, it would be a step backwards to introduce a cart. Um, carts, you know, the, it, it increases the opportunity for people to put things in that, you know, you might not be able to see because opposed to our system, which is manual, someone's physically picking up that bin. So if something's in there that's heavy or shouldn't be, those, those things are caught where they might not be in an automated system. A little bit of context for those who are a little concerned about the tag bag program and the potential of Calgary going that way. Susan, thanks so much for the time today. No problem. Susan Grimm, the team leader, waste and recycling at the City of Airdrie, giving us a little bit of insight ahead of tomorrow's city committee meeting. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Let's uh, dive into this topic about younger generations and the the troubles of striving for perfection have actually been put into a report. It's been penned by Dr. Simon Sherry, professor and director of clinical training, Department of Psychology and Neuroscience at Dalhousie University. Uh, Dr. Sherry, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you for having me today. Give us a bit of an overview as to some of the findings that you came up with with this latest report. So we conducted what's called a meta-analysis, and that's really just a fancy way of saying we gathered together a large number of studies and summarized what was found. In this case, we pulled together 77 different studies, and that involved about 25,000 participants. From all those participants, we learned that over the past 25 years, perfectionism has been on the rise. The second key thing we learned is that as perfectionists age, as they move along through the life course, it seems like they get more neurotic and less conscientious. And then the third thing that we found was that when you compare men to women, it seems like they're more or less similar in terms of their level of perfectionism. I am curious what led to that increase over the last 25 years. That's speculative, but we're looking toward two factors. The first being parenting behaviors, the second being sociocultural factors. On the parental side of things, we see a lot of parenting these days where the parents are critical and pressuring and controlling, and they can be overprotective of their children. And this is sort of fertile ground for the growth of perfectionism. If you take a few steps back and look at the larger sociocultural context, we're also living in a world where rank and performance and self-interest come first, and there's an awful lot of pressure to achieve and see how you measure up in relation to the Joneses. One other factor that's very much a 2019 issue would seem to be social media through platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and the like. There are just more and more 
idealized, perfect-looking images that we're bombarded with 24-7. And if you look at today's generation, they have a lot of yardsticks with which they can measure themselves. How are they keeping up in terms of appearance or performance or job or relationships and so forth? And that sort of sociocultural backdrop is really a place where perfectionism is likely to emerge. What do parents or what should parents take away from this as they go about their day and and trying to teach their kids about, you know, being good but not necessarily perfect? Support your child in being conscientious, which is to say support your child in being goal-focused and disciplined and organized and reliable and dutiful. Those are great attributes. But we see that when perfectionism comes up in parenting, it's when the parents love their child based on their performance, based on their rank, based on their appearance. They dole out love, affection, and care based on how well the child's doing academically or in the athletic domain or any other domain where the parent tends to think it's important. Move away from that and move toward loving your child without those strings or conditions attached. I think another critically important important thing that parents can do is to teach their children to have a healthy skepticism towards social media. Help them understand what photoshopping and airbrushes and filters are and help them understand that this social media game is often rigged to present idealized and unrepresentative perfect images. It's fascinating because I do remember back in the day we used to be told uh, that uh, perfection is impossible. You're never going to get perfect. So why it's not necessarily that you shouldn't strive to be perfect, but you shouldn't be obsessed by it. That's a good way to think of it. Perfectionists cross a line into obsession, and on a behavior level, they have almost a compulsive need to be perfect in everything that they do. And that's really something different than working hard or being conscientious. They cross a line into something much darker than that. Mm-hmm. And, and you make out some of the, as you mentioned, uh, they tend to become more neurotic as time goes by. And all of a sudden there's guilt and envy and anxiety. I mean, this is now we're going into that whole mental health discussion that has been so prevalent of late. Well, one thing that's concerning about this rising tide of perfectionism is that perfectionism has been established by more than 25 years of research as a risk factor for depression, anxiety, suicide, bulimia, anorexia nervosa, relationship problems, and a host of other difficulties. So if we're living in a world that's raising perfectionism levels and launching more perfectionists into the world, we have to realize that these individuals are very much at risk for a wide range of mental and physical health problems. Mm-hmm. And beyond that is then you end up in, uh, as you, you're quoted in the, in the report, is uh, it's, it's becoming an even deadly epidemic in, in modern Western societies. This is no joke. This is something that is, uh, people should be taking a lot more seriously. Yeah, it may sound like we're exaggerating by using a word like deadly, but you can make a compelling case based on evidence that perfectionism is deadly in at least two ways. First, my own research has established a very robust link between perfectionism and thinking about suicide and attempting suicide. Second, and this would be research conducted by other academics, there are two studies that suggest that perfectionism actually leads people to die at a younger age, likely because perfectionists are chronically stressed out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's uh, something to be aware of, especially, as you mentioned, in, in the day and age where we're striving for that perfect selfie or we're striving for that perfect life to be presented to the outer world. And as you mentioned, uh, comparing yourself to the Benjamins and the Joneses and every other family. And so uh, thanks so much for giving us a little bit of insight into your report. It's a, it's a fascinating read for sure. I appreciate you taking the time, Joe, to draw attention to this research and to the wider issue of perfectionism in Canada and around the world. Dr. Simon Sherry at Dalhousie University. I've posted a link to the story uh, on my Twitter, at Calgary Today, if you want to take a gander at that. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.